not be clapping when I'm done. Not just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it's a real pleasure to be here today. Um, I'm sure you all heard of Lindenwald. No? Okay. It's about 20 minutes east of Philadelphia. Uh, it took me about an hour and 20 minutes to get here. It wasn't that bad. Uh, but it's a, it's a thrill to be here today. Uh, I don't get too much opportunity. They don't let me out too often. So uh, when they do, it's pretty exciting. So I'm glad that I could be here today to share with you. Uh, before I start anything, uh, as he said in my bio, um, I was saved at five, baptized at eight, rededicated at 12, called at 17, and ran away from God. Uh, 15 years later, I was able to drop to my knees when he finally said, okay, Ken, I've had enough of you. It's time for you to wake up, and I did. And I finally surrendered every part of me to him. And I'm here to tell you life has been absolutely outstanding since. Now, I've been through cancer. Uh, I've been through falling off a telephone pole and breaking my heels. I've been through all kinds of fun things in life. And I still have joy because I got him and he's got me. So, uh, hopefully this will all work out, but let's have some fun. But let's ask God to intercede because if it's just me speaking, it's going to fall flat on its face. So why don't we pray? Uh, Father, we are thankful uh, that we have an opportunity to gather together as fellowshipping believers around the Word of God. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you provided for us a way to be with you forever. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that now that there's any who are sick and can't be with us today, Father, that in a, in a way that only you can, that you would touch and heal. Father, if there's those that are away on vacation, I pray you would give safety for travel uh, as they're away and bring them home safely to us. Uh, Father, I just pray that all who hear what's said here and done here today will bring honor and glory to your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word so that your word is heard. Father, prepare our hearts even now. Uh, help us to, to block out all the stuff that is out there around the world, Father, so that we can focus on the one true God and the one truth, and that's your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, when I was called and asked to preach today, uh, I, I, I have a lot of old sermons that I thought I would just grab a hold of one and bring it out and have some fun, and God kept pressing this thing on my head. My daughter came over one day, and she's got a t-shirt on that says, Y-O-L-O-L-O-L-J-K-B-R-B, Jesus. I don't speak text. So I had no idea what it was, and I thought, oh, okay, that's cute. Uh, a couple days later, I get another video from my son-in-law. He's got the same shirt on. I said, all right, there's got to be something to this shirt. I'm going to have to find out what this is. So I asked my daughter, I said, what does the shirt mean? The shirt means you only live once. Laugh out loud. Just kidding. Be right back. Jesus. I said, oh, okay. Now this is starting to make a little sense here. So basically what he's saying, and what I get from the, the gist of the shirt, is that you don't just live once, because there's life after death. 
So you live twice. That's okay. I can deal with that. That, that, that works. My, my finite brain can, can work with that one. But then as God started leaning on my heart, I started thinking, wait a minute. As believers, we live three times. Cool. Got you now, don't I? How in the world do we do that? Let's go to John chapter 3. And let's see if I can't explain to you this other life that Christians have that non-Christians do not. John chapter 3, please. And I will start in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So now this is kind of an, I, I love this part of this story. Uh, there was a, uh, a TV series that's been made called The Chosen. And I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see it. If you do, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm not into streaming. I don't know what that means. Uh, but they did run it for a little bit. I got to see season one. But they showed this scene of Nicodemus meeting with Jesus on the rooftop. And, and what I liked about the way they depicted this is the way I kind of see how life was back then. Nicodemus being a Pharisee, whenever anyone would come to speak to him, it was always, oh, great scholar that you are, you know the word better than they would butter him up before they'd ask him a question. And I see Nicodemus doing the same thing here with Jesus. Because I think Nicodemus recognized who Jesus was. So he figured, well, I better butter him up a little before I ask him this question. And I kind of like the way he does that because Jesus hits him right between the eyes with the answer. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? I kind of love this. This is Nicodemus going, okay, what kind of silliness is this? So he's, now he's a wise guy. And he says, um, how can a man be born again when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's room and be born, can he? Which, of course, we know that's impossible. Jesus answered and said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is your two births. Okay? When, when mom's about ready to give birth, what happens? The water breaks. That's the water. So you're born of the water, you're born in the flesh. But then when we're believers, when we become believers, we're born in the spirit. Born again. Here comes the second life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, it says in verse 6. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. When I think about that little phrase there, that verse, that verse is kind of hard to grab a hold of, not really knowing what Jesus is trying to say there. But the way I kind of look at that is that when it became time for me to be born again, I had no idea it was coming. I mean, it really just kind of crept up behind me and went, <laughs> like, guess what? It's time. Get up, go forward, ask for forgiveness, because it's time. 
But I certainly didn't walk into church expecting that to happen. And I'm sure that whenever you met Jesus face to face, I'm sure you were totally unprepared for that meeting. And I think that's what he's talking about here. We don't go to church saying, I'm going to go to church today and get saved. Nah, that's not how it works. So I think that's what he's trying to say there. Let's go to verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Enters into Pastor Ken's pet peeve. Nicodemus had nothing but Genesis to Malachi. And somewhere in Genesis to Malachi, he should have known that you needed to be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. Because those were the scriptures he knew. And Jesus is telling him, you've been reading all about me your entire life. Everything that I have said to you to see who I am, I said it from Genesis to Malachi. You should know who I am. And I say shame on us sometimes because sometimes we focus ourselves as New Testament Christians. And we, we, we're, we're very quick to go into the New Testament because we find grace there. But we need to go back to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament we find judgment. And we have to understand that with sin there are consequences whether you're saved or unsaved. And if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament to me is a beautiful picture of us as believers. Because what happened with the nation of Israel? They trusted God, everything was good, everything was wonderful. As soon as things got good, they went out chasing after idols. God says, no, that's not good, here comes a calamity. They all go, oh no, God, I'm sorry, we didn't mean it, and we'll throw out the idols and we'll come back. And everything starts going good again. They bring out the idols. Here comes another calamity. After calamity, after calamity, after calamity. And I go, wow, that's me. <laughs> you know, things start going good. I kind of take this and put it on a shelf somewhere. And my life becomes about me and not about God. And then God says, okay, wait a minute. I've got to get your attention again. And that's kind of how we are as believers. And what I want to talk about today is to kind of get us to stop that road. Stop that path, because we can. And I'm going to show you how. So salvation. Um, to understand truly what it means to be saved, I don't want to uh, think that everyone that's sitting in this pew today, everybody who's hearing my voice, is saved. So let me get this really clear and out of the way. There's a thing I like to use called the Romans Road. When I help people to understand how to witness to someone who is unsaved, I always tell them to make sure you use scripture and show them the Bible. Otherwise, it becomes like it's your words and they can refute your words. But they can't argue with God. If they can, that's their problem. It's our job to give them the gospel. So I like to do a thing called the Romans Road because it's all in one book. We don't get too lost trying to figure out how to do this. So we start with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. From the Pope to me and everybody in between, they have all sinned. Everyone. There is not one human being that was born since Adam 
Remember I said born and created because Jesus wasn't created, right? There is no human being that is without sin. Never. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So we run into this issue. If we're all sinners, that means we're all going to pay for that sin with death. Now this death is not natural physical death. This death is separation from God. Which means that our sin is between us and God and we can't get to him. No matter what you do. You can do all the good works you want to do. That's really wonderful. That's lots of fun. It ain't going to get you to God. But there is a way. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place as our substitute so that we don't have to be separated from God. Remember on the cross, one of the last things Jesus said was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because it was the only time in history that God the Father had to turn his back on God the Son because God the Son was totally filled with the sin of all humanity. And God the Father could not be with him because he can't allow sin in his presence. So he paid that price for us so we don't have to. How do we get that? Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And that's all there is to it. But, <laughs> I like to think sometimes... There's a, a concept that I've read about called easy believism. And the idea of this is that all I need to do is say a prayer and I'm good. And it's done. And then I can go back out and live the way I want to live, the way I was living. Nothing else has changed. But I said the prayer, so I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I call it a fire drill. I don't want to burn. So I'm going to say the prayer. But just in case that's really true, I'm good. But are they truly saved? Because I think we miss the concept of what he's talking about when he says, believe in your heart. Because that means there's a relationship that's built. And in that relationship, that love relationship between you and God, because you recognize what he did in our place, in that love relationship, it causes a change in your body. We call it repentance. Now, a lot of times I'll ask, especially I, I had the chance to work with teens for quite a while, and one of the things I would ask teens, I said, what does repentance mean? And they all would say, oh, it means to be sorry for your sin. No, that's not what repentance means. Repentance literally means to turn and go 180 degrees from the direction you were going in the opposite direction. See, before we came face to face with our sin, and, and the savior of our sin, of Jesus Christ, we were walking in one direction and that was right to hell. But once we met the savior, we turn and walk towards him. And that brings a change. That's pretty good. So your life needs to change. It just does. How can you be a Christian and continue to walk towards hell? 
Just saying. So I want to show you verses in Scripture that talk about repentance. So you can see what I'm not just making this up because I'm the guy that's up here talking. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. So this isn't a new concept. This is an Old Testament concept of understanding of repentance was required. Let's go to New Testament, Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Not sinners to come and pray and say, God, forgive me of my sins. That's part of it. But there's that repentance part. Acts 3.19 Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 20, 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that in according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So repentance is an important part of who we are as believers. It's part of the process of getting saved. And what that does for us is it leads us into a, a, a thing we call sanctification. Sanctification is simply, let me put it this way. I look at salvation in three tenses. Past tense. At the moment I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, everything that I did up until that point is gone. As far as the east is from the west. Buried in the deepest sea just as if I never did it. It's gone. But then, as a believer, through the rest of my life, I am still going to sin. I probably did that a couple of times in a drive up here. That jerk cut me off. <clears throat> so we are going to sin. But we're saved from that sin when we ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're saved in the future because when Jesus returns, we're going to heaven. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's salvation in three tenses. Well, that present tense is what we call sanctification. Because sanctification is basically making us to become more like Christ. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that you can magically say, when I say that prayer, I am now sanctified, and I am done, and now I'm just like Jesus. Nah. It's a process. It takes time. It takes practice. And it is our responsibility to do it. 
Let's go to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6. And this is that second life that I'm talking about. Romans chapter 6 basically teaches us how to do this. Now I say this, let me, I'm going to throw a little interjection here. I say this to tell you that I live this so I know. I am not speaking of something that I just pulled out of scripture because I saw a t-shirt. I live this part of life and understand what it means to repent and to not repent and understand how God deals with sin when you're in sin and living in sin and not paying attention to them. So I say this from my own experience. I also like to say, uh, I do have a tendency to throw a lot of verses at you. So I would like to just say to you, make sure you write these down. And when you get home, look them up again. Uh, it says in the book of Acts that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And I would ask everyone, don't take my word for it. Please, write the scriptures down. Go home, look them up, read them for yourself. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you again and again and again. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3, Paul says, Or do you now know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now Paul talks about this again in Corinthians. It's the same concept. When we became believers, at the moment that we trusted Christ as Savior, that person that you were up until that point is dead. He has been, you have been buried with Christ in the grave with Christ. Stop bringing him back. Because that's what we do. We keep bringing this dead person back to life again. And the concept of sanctification is stop it. Stop breathing life into that dead body. Because you're a new person. You're a new creation. The moment you trust Christ. Verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. Isn't that cool? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we're dead to sin. It has no dominion over us anymore. Which means we shouldn't fear death. Because just as Jesus was resurrected, so shall we be. Verse 12. Therefore, 
Here's where it becomes our responsibility to do this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Which means even if you do sin, you are forgiven, if you ask. Now, one of the things I like to talk about when I talk about us sinning as believers, in my young Christian walk, I would come home at night and I would have this prayer time. And I would sit down and I would say to God, okay, forgive me of my sins. <laughs> and I could now almost hear God saying, yeah, which ones were they? Because <laughs> there's a list there that you kind of missed. Because the idea being that when we sin, the Holy Spirit of God is going to convict us immediately. And we need to immediately ask for forgiveness. Because what happens is when you sin, your fellowship with God is broken. And you can pray till the cows come home and he ain't going to listen. Until you've confessed that sin. But if you're saying, forgive me of my sins, that general prayer, that means you're really not sorry for what you did because you don't even know what you did. So how can, how can you be forgiven if you don't even know what it is? So we need to ask for forgiveness immediately. Man, when we sin, you know, you just got, you know, I mean, please, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But you need to pray immediately and seek forgiveness. And keep that fellowship to going with God. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? In other words, if I want more grace from God, I'll just sin more. Because <laughs> that way I'll get more grace. That's not how it works. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Um, I used to work for the telephone company for 34 years. And one of the things we used to say when we go to work and our boss would tell us to do something that we thought was absolutely stupid, but we knew that it had to be done because he's the boss. So he's the guy with authority, so I got to say, do, obey him and obey his word. We used to call ourselves work slaves because I can't use common sense or what I thought was the right thing to do. I had to do what I was told. I had to be obedient to the authority that was placed over me, so I had to be obedient. So I consider myself a slave to my job. That's not really the right way to look at it, but that's what I did at the time. But when you look at sin, if you continue to sin, you become a slave to it. If you're obeying sin in your constant walk, every day, day after day, you're a slave to sin. And you know, I mean, the obvious example is addictions. Anyone who's ever dealt with addictions or knows someone that's dealt with addictions understands the concept of being a slave to sin. God wants us to be a slave to him. A slave to obedience to him. You know, God's will is for us to be obedient. That's all. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. He wants us to be obedient. And we need to understand what that means. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart 
to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And Paul says, I'm speaking in human ter terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And there's our sanctification process. Now, when he talks here about being slaves to impurity, and which leads to lawlessness and further lawlessness, sin begets sin begets sin. The more you sin, the more you're going to sin. I use David as my example. King David, his army's out in battle. What's he doing? He's sitting home with his feet up. The king's supposed to be out in battle, but he didn't go. Sin number one. Then he decides to go for a walk. I think this is so cool. He decides to go for a walk on the portico. You think he didn't know where he was going? Do you think he didn't know what he was going to see when he walked up there on that porch? Darn tootin'. There was going to be a bunch of naked ladies down there getting, getting baths. And he knew it. He was addicted to pornography. Think about it. Really. He knew what he was going up there to see. Sin number two. Sin number three, he saw it. Now, he could have ended it there. Said, oh God, no, sorry, forgive me for doing that. But he didn't. And he went a step further and he took Bathsheba. There's sin number three. Then he tries to cover it up by bringing the husband home. He had more honor than David did. Sin number four, trying to cover his sin. And then he eventually sends Uriah back to the front of the battle and gets him killed. Sin number five, he's now guilty of murder. Which started with just the simplest thing of just not being where he was supposed to be. Are we any better than David? Mm -mm. If we don't stop sin the minute we see it, it's going to continue and it's going to grow and it's going to fester in your life, and it's going to eat you alive. Ask anyone that's ever been in addiction, they know. Until you stop and walk in the, in the spirit instead of walking in the flesh, you're stuck. Did I do that? Guess I should stop doing that, huh? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um... Okay, James chapter 1. I'm getting there. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, for he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So when you sin, you cannot say, God made me do it. Now, God will try you. He will put difficult things in your life to try your faith to draw you to be closer to him and learn to rely on him more and to trust him more. But he's not going to tempt you to sin because he can't. There isn't evil in him. So if you're tempted to sin, trust me, it didn't come from God. James chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. You believe that God is one, you do well. 
the demons also believe and shudder. <laughs> I always like to say that uh, I've spoken to people many times when they say, oh, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Anyways, tell them, so does the devil. I don't think he's going to heaven. But you can bet he knows who God is. Shucks, he lived with him for a long time, didn't he? Before he got tossed out. You're darn tootin' he knows who God is. And he knows what the plans Jesus had because that's why he tempted him in the wilderness. Because he wanted to stop what was going to happen. And he couldn't. The devil believes in God. Verse 20 in James chapter 2 says, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You know, James was one of those books that was the last one to put into the canon of Scripture because the guys that were putting all this stuff together kind of thought it was a book about the doctrine of works instead of the doctrine of faith alone. But as they began to research and research and get to learn more about the book of James, they realized that, you know what, this concept of repentance in our salvation and sanctification is real, and we need to teach it. Back to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read this, but I'm going to try to go through it pretty quick. I told them I'd only be an hour and a half. So. Romans chapter 7, please. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to have to stop. Maybe it's the time. Romans chapter 7, please. We'll start with verse 18. And by the way, I know I'm cheating. I have the verses already typed up. Maybe we should turn this one on and turn this one off. And I'll promise not to move too much. Okay, we'll try that out. Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul had this same struggle that we all do. And I, I have a lot of admiration for Paul. Romans is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And Paul struggled just like we do. Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. Starts with, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can be thankful right up front. Because even though we may continue to sin because our life is still, we still keep breathing life into that dead body, we're not going to be condemned. Because Jesus Christ already dealt with that. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, 
he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who did not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I like to kind of go Old Testament on you for a little bit, because if you think about the sacrifice, sacrificial system, which was designed to be a picture of Jesus Christ and what Christ was going to do on the cross of Calvary. But when you look at the sacrificial system, can you imagine? I mean, we're talking over a million people who did multiple sacrifices every year. How many animals do you think were sacrificed for sin? Just think about the magnitude of over thousands of years. Millions upon millions of animals were sacrificed for sin, and it still didn't cut it. One drop of blood from Jesus did. And that sacrificial system is a picture of us trying and trying and trying to do all the good things because we don't realize that what's going to stop us from sinning in this life now as believers is the Holy Spirit of God. Because God's asking us to do something that in our flesh we cannot do. I counsel people all the time about forgiveness and how hard it is to forgive someone who's abused you, who's beat you, who's spit on you, who's done wrong things to you, who's cursed you, and especially those rotten kids. And I tell them all the time, you can forgive them, but you have to ask God to do it for you. Because only the Holy Spirit of God working in your life is going to enable you to forgive what you and your own human self cannot. And you hear all the time about people that have, have forgiven fathers for abuse for many, many years before. It's the only way it can happen. Because if it happens in our human flesh, you'll go back and hate him again. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I want to start with verse 16. And I'm going to end with this. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the idea, the concept, what we need to do is learn how to walk by the Spirit. James chapter 1 says you have not because you ask not. I would like to suggest that how many times do we get down on our knees and say, God, please help me not to sin today. Especially this one that I do all the time. This one with my mouth that I can't seem to control. This one with my eyes that I can't stop looking at things I shouldn't be. This one with me juggling my time when my time should be spent somewhere else. And the Holy Spirit of God will help you do that. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those wonderful attributes that we would love to have in ourselves. Guess what? You got them. (laughs) 
At the minute you got saved and the Holy Spirit of God came in to dwell inside of you, all of these attributes are in you. And if you're not practicing them, it's because you are quenching the Spirit. Because I'm doing it, I know. So how do we not quench the Spirit? Well, you ask them. We talk to them. We say, God, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to take these attributes and have them come out of me. If we don't love someone who's an unbeliever, who's really kind of ugly, how are they ever going to find Jesus? If we don't show the joy of Jesus in our lives, people are going to look at you and say, why would I want to be a miserable Christian? Do you see how this works? When we are able to show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because we asked him and he enabled us, then we can tell others about Jesus, which is why you're here to begin with. We are all still alive today because God's got a job for us to do. Because people need to hear about the Jesus that's in you. But they can't hear through your sin. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to let the Holy Spirit of God do what he does so that these attributes can pour out of you. Verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. That's all we got to do. Now, I know that sounds easy. And I know it's not. Because we live in this body that still has this sin nature that we haven't necessarily completely buried yet and we won't until Jesus returns. But we need to be completely aware of who we are. We are not like those who are without Christ. We're different. And people should see that to the point where they should want what you have. We need to be the ones that are drawing Jesus, drawing people to Jesus. The mission field is right over here in these fields over here where the kids are playing ball. That's your mission field. We don't have to go to Zimbabwe, I think the pastor's from, right? Uh, I took a mission trip to Brazil, um, the mission trips all over the place, and, 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 and I found the same thing over and over again. I, I, let me tell you with this, I'll with this. I did a mission trip to Brazil, and I remember the first day we were there, we went to this international church. And in this international church, they spoke English, thankfully, and they had sent a team of people to the United States, a mission team to the United States, to Texas. And they were coming back and they were giving their testimonies of what they saw when they went to the United States. And one thing jumped out from each person as they gave their testimony about their trip was that the churches in America were cold. And that broke my heart. And I started thinking, what the heck am I doing in Brazil? <laughs> I need to go home and do what I'm supposed to do. Because if people see us as cold, they're not going to want Jesus. We can't wall ourselves off and hide here. Right? Let's show the love of Jesus. Let him be seen in our lives. Let's pray.
Father, I'm thankful for your word. Man, it, it, it's, it's so clear when we take the time to sit and break it apart and to think about what you've said to us. And Father, so many times uh, we fail. We get selfish. We begin to want to satisfy our own desires because what happens is we put our desires before you and before what you want for us. And, and those desires will never bring us the joy and the peace that your love does. So help us, Father. As Christians, help us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I don't want to finish this by not giving an opportunity for anyone who has not been saved, anyone who has not trusted in Christ, to take the opportunity to do so. So as they're playing this last song, uh, I would like to invite anyone who really wants to know what it means to be a Christian and what in the world I'm talking about to begin with. Uh, feel free to come on up. I'll be right here. Uh, come on up. Uh, say a few words to me. Slap me if you want. Uh, but I'd be happy to show you through the Word of God how today you be can begin this sanctification journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.